I did not want to be a journalist uh, when I graduated from school. I wanted to be a writer, but I did not know how to be one. I come from outside Kathmandu. It's a place in eastern Nepal. So uh, I did not have colleges in my hometown. We did not even have a library there. But I was a really a voracious reader. I was not supposed to be a journalist. You know, my family wanted me to be an engineer or doctor. That's that's the professions the society really admires. So I uh, left for Kathmandu. After I graduated, I uh, joined a local newspaper for internship. So as soon as I joined as an intern, uh, the, the editor hired me as a proofreader because I was good at uh, Nepali language. So I started from there and gradually you know, I learned you know, how to write news and features and, uh, and that's how I started. You're listening to Exposing the Invisible. Interviews with investigators about their methods, their communities, and what motivates them to keep going. I'm Deepak Adhikari. I'm a journalist based in Kathmandu, Nepal. I've been in journalism for the last 20 years. I have written for international publications like New York Times, Guardian, Time Magazine, Al Jazeera, uh, Caravan Magazine in India and Himal South Asian Magazine uh, based out of Kathmandu. Over the years, I have written on, uh, you know, several topics uh, that ranging from, you know, the evolution of, you know, political system in Nepal, human rights, uh, the Maoist insurgency, Nepal's foreign policy, you know, energy crisis, environment, and issues like corruption, tax evasion, but in, over the last three years, I have uh, mostly focused on fact-checking and digital investigation. In uh, early 2020, I joined South Asia Check, which is South Asia's first fact-checking platform. Soon after I joined South Asia Check, the COVID-19 pandemic started to spread around the world. And so, in a way, uh, COVID pandemic Cut out my job for me because you know the problem of mis and disinformation was so you know wide and so such a huge phenomenon that you know everyone was affected. It was really an intensive experience for me, but I learned a lot about conspiracy theories, about different kind of uh, false claims from hoaxes to you know disinformation to malinformation. In Nepal, the business groups have colluded with the politicians to exploit the state resources or, you know, to take advantage of the loopholes uh, because the country uh, uh, is unstable and, you know, and poor uh, and its institutions are not as strong as should, it should be. Uh, so uh, there is obviously, you know, a lot of investigation uh, should be towards this, this nexus between politics and business. In July 2022, I left uh, South Asia Czech and uh, we, uh, we gathered a group of 
Nepali journalist. We launched uh, Nepal Check, which is a bilingual platform. Uh, and we have we fact-checked uh, misinformation around elections, which uh, took place in November 20. Uh, this election was interesting because there's so much, you know, uh, manipulated photos and, you know, uh, what is called uh, shallow fake, where there are out-of-context videos. You have a short clip of a long video and it's, uh, you know, several years old and you, you know, you uh, strip off the context, you remove the context and and there are a lot of, you know, uh, election mis- and disinformation because uh, if you are a candidate, you know, you, you use social media uh, to reach to people and also those uh, disinformers who, who want to spread, you know, mis- and disinformation. They also joined these platforms because uh, if you if you have some skills, uh, you can easily manipulate. You know, you can easily influence people. And it was really uh, insightful for me as well because uh, I had been fact-checked myself for uh, for long-form stories for Caravan Magazine and all this, but I had never done the kind of fact-checking that we do now, which is what I call post-publication fact-checking, when something is already out, when something has already been published on social media, on you know TV or radio, and we start fact-checking that. As I said, I have been a journalist for 20 years. In early 2000, when I was working at Nepal Magazine, uh, I used to be an investigative reporter. I, I investigated human trafficking, organ trafficking, you know, sex trafficking and other kind of uh, crimes. Uh, but, uh, you know, for many years afterwards, you know, I, I mostly focused on long form narratives. But in 2019, I was involved in Nepal leaks. I worked uh, as part of a team that published five stories based on data from Panama Papers and Paradise Papers. So that uh, reinforced or in a way, you know, reminded me the potential of uh, investigative journalism. So uh, after being part of that project, I decided to start, restart uh, investigation into uh, into big companies, into, you know, large corporations, because there are so many stories of tax evasion and money laundering of financial crimes. In 2021, uh, we published a major investigation uh, on Encel, which is Nepal's largest telecom company. Uh, and we received a lot of uh, you know, positive feedbacks for those stories. There are two stories uh, which unearthed new information about, about the deals and the tax evasion and then uh, their foreign connections and other issues around financial crime. Uh, I also focused on a digital investigation, investigating false claims and trying to hold uh, powerful people to account because uh, the way, you know, politics and the media work in Nepal is you provide, you know, uh, space to politicians, their speeches, their interviews without scrutiny, you know, fact-checking without countering their claims, you know, in a way giving them free, free you know, 
spaces, which means you will become complicit in spreading the lies. But because of the way the mainstream media functions, which is like, you know, supported by corporate, there's always a problem. You cannot do these stories. There are red lines which you cannot cross as a, as a you know, corporate house. And still in Nepal, it's the you know corporate media that really that is uh, widely read or you know. And I think that's that's bad news for us. And that's the reason we should really uh, adopt uh, the the non-profit model. I'll look for two things in a story. Uh, first is impact. Is uh, what would be the implication of this story? Second is whether it's in public interest or not. For example, you know tax evasion. Because uh, if a businessman evades tax, someone may not be able to send his or her daughter to school. I want to do stories which have really huge implications. For example. Uh, our last story on this uh, telecom company, we were invited to, you know, share our insight with the government officials. Our our reporting was really helpful for them to uh, investigate. So, you know, although like uh, investigative uh, reporting in itself is really, you know, hard and, you know, sometimes you really struggle to explain things because things are usually complicated, but uh, it reaches to people like the government officials, investigative uh, agencies, you know, uh, prosecutors uh, and that then that, that you can draw a lot of satisfaction from that there hasn't been much work in terms of investigative journalism in Nepal and there are so many stories you know uh, you you it will take your lifetime to do all the stories you know? So there are several challenges. Uh, for example, you really struggle to find the archival material because the newspapers, the you know, uh, the online platforms, they don't maintain their archives. You know. Then our work become really uh, difficult because to fact check something, to you know, to document something, you need evidence. Uh, two other challenges. One is uh, we don't have. Uh, you know, skillful reporters, because in order to investigate something, you you really have to have a top-notch skill. You know, for example, if you are investigating a company, a problematic company, you need to know how to uh, read financial accounts, you know, corporate filings. You know, if you want to follow the money, you know, you have to really know how you know this these financial systems work. You know, second is again, you know, financial resources because Investigative journalism is an expensive pursuit. You know, you have to spend a lot of time. It's time-consuming, and but you, as a, as a, as someone with a family like me, you know, you also have to pay your bills. You know, uh, so how do you balance that? You know, between paying your bills and spending a lot of time on your stories, even after spending a year, there may not be a story because you don't have a solid evidence. You you may not be able to uncover a new information or uh, pin down the wrongdoing, you know, because because of the way it works, because the business world is really complicated, you know. Also, like, you have to spend a lot of time cultivating sources. For example, you start investigating a, a new issue and then you have to 
find there is a saying, you know, it takes a village. So in, in order to investigate a big story, you have to create a network of sources of, you know, collaborators, your, your fellow, you know, journalist. And working in a team is really difficult, you know, because you, everyone is not in the same pace and, you know, it's uh, everyone has you know, it's their own shortcomings or, you know, and there are also challenges like, you know, physical threats and digital threats. Because as, a, as an investigative journalist, so much of your work you do in digital space, you know, your email, your laptop, your communication with sources. So, you know, digital threat is already there. You know, you may be targeted by these people whose wrongdoing you are exposing, you know, because you are online, you are on social media, you know, they may follow you, you know, even they may come to your home. I'm not just talking about me, you know, all the other journalists in countries like Nepal and even in other parts of the world, they always face these twin problems of digital and physical threat. See, it's really hard to explain uh, what we do to uh, lay people, you know, and I think this is a crisis facing journalism because we don't explain our work. It's kind of, it gives an aura of mystery. I have an eight-year-old daughter. Sometimes I take her to my presentations at my office to show what I'm doing and she's fairly, you know, updated about what I do. But the larger society, even my relatives, either they don't want to hear, you know, about the process because it's it's not, you know, pleasant, you know. Uh, you, you have to go to a dark room and then you spend hours collecting documents. You have to wait for hours for a source to appear, you know. You, have, you wear... At your house, my relatives often find me, you know, engrossed in a book or, uh, you know, spending so much time behind a computer. And they don't know what this guy is doing because, you know, this work doesn't show immediately. You know, it takes months, years. So, uh, to the ordinary people, what I say is, if we don't do stories, if we don't expose this, you know, these people who are criminals, who who have done the wrongdoings, they would go unpunished. There would be impunity. Many, many years ago, I exposed a sand mafia for a weekly newspaper in Nepal, in Nepal language. I had, and it was a weekly newspaper. And the day the story was published, a man buzzed into my room and you know asked for the name of the reporter uh, he did not recognize me and when he grilled me are you Deepak Adhikari? i just i think i gave another name you know I, I don't remember it now but then he was convinced that i was not the guy and he threatened and went back so that that was the scariest you know situation for me because the guy who was exposed in my report was right there in my office threatening me but somehow I think it was luck and my instinct that I, I got away with it. Actually, I don't share these things uh, to my family. Hopefully, they will not listen to this podcast. Uh, but, you know, it, it encourages me because uh, uh, there, is, there is a satisfaction in exposing uh, the wrongdoing. Uh, and, you know, something that is invisible, that is hidden and needs to be exposed, you know. And holding these powerful people... Uh, 
uh, not only politicians but also business people and you know public figures to account you know it's it's i think uh, you are you are doing a, a public service journalism uh, where you know you are helping build evidences for investigative agencies we are in a business of thinking and when you don't think much you know your stories are just you know maybe written by a, a robot it doesn't have that empathy it doesn't have emotions uh, it doesn't connect to people so uh, i want to uh, do more you know fact checks i also want to do long form stories because it's been several years so uh, i want to travel and you know talk to people and do more stories on the ground reporting where you can bring the you know nuances go to new places and write about them you know train more young people on investigative journalism and fact checking you know so i think uh, the first thing is to be uh, really curious about anything not take things for granted be curious listen to people you know be like a like a sponge you know try to uh, get whatever in your you know in in, in a uh, in a party where you are you know talking to people or in a traveling in a new place or you know meeting a new person always be curious and you know you may bump up with history at, at any time anywhere but uh, be also really thorough about your work be really meticulous in the way you maintain your files you record your findings you know your information be really be well organized you know be tech savvy you know use all the digital tools and techniques uh, you know uh, so that your work becomes easier and always think about storytelling because i think that's important it's not enough for you to have a new information how do you present that new information so that readers can relate to it readers are moved by the story i think that's fundamental that's key to becoming a good journalist you've been listening to the second season of exposing the invisible a podcast by tactical tech with funding from sida Interview and production by Mariam Abughezi. From Tactical Tech, the Exposing the Invisible team is me, Wael Iskander, Laura Ranka, Lika Plucher, Mark Tyshinsky, and Christy Lang.